This week's episode is brought to you by The Polar Room. Chirotherapy is the newest trend towards achieving optimal health and beauty. It's Left of Field with Danny Kavanagh. Hello and welcome to the Left of Field podcast with me, Danny Kavanagh, yet again. And today we're going to swing right into it. Ooh, do you like what I did there? We're going to be swinging onto the golf course because I'm chatting to Kerrod Gray. He's a multiple award-winning PGA professional and a spearhead of the new generation of golf coaches in Australia. That's right. He is changing the game of golf and how it should be taught. So many great ideas. This guy makes you want to get out there and just start a new project or think of the way that you can change the world. So I hope you enjoy this chat. Hello, Carrot, and welcome to the Left of Field podcast. How are you going today? Yeah, fantastic. Thanks very much for having me. Excited to uh, get stuck in. I'm very excited to have you on because not only are you a golf champion yourself, but you are changing the way of golf coaching in Australia. But we'll start from the beginning. I'm jumping a bit ahead of myself there. Can you tell me how did you get into golf? First of all, that was a very nice introduction, mm-hmm. so let's run with that one as much as we can. <laughs> <laughs> I can say it again if um, you want. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Margaret River, about halfway in between the town and the beach, and the golf course is situated there. Fortunate enough, my parents migrated over from New Zealand when they were quite young, and they scored a bush block out the back of the golf course. And organically, I think when I was about eight years old, I used to go down with my dad and steal some balls out of the creek and hit them around my block. And then a couple of years later, I went down and joined the golf club and pretty much just became obsessed with it since then. Do you think that because you were a country kid, you got to play a lot more golf? Did you have a lot more, you know, access to courses and chances to hit the ball around? Yeah, that's a great question. I suppose like relative to maybe other very populated countries and cities, yes. In Australia, golf is very much not so as elitist, so it's still a very very much an every every man sport, but I definitely think having access to a golf course at the back of my house certainly helped a lot. So gave me a lot of ability every afternoon to kind of just walk down out the back and then hit a few balls and that sort of thing. So it was pretty easy in the access. And I think just being able to to have that freedom just made a world of difference. It wasn't very hard for my parents to get me down there. So I think as a kid, um, if you can do something more often than not and you get stuck into it, it becomes a bit of a habitual routine and you really start to enjoy it from there. So tell me about your playing career. What playing experience do you bring to your coaching now? So I started off and just did the usual juniors and then leading into amateurs. And I had some degree of success there. Probably my highlight of my career up until that point is I made uh, an Australian team and we went and played in China for a couple of events when I was 18. And then I came to a bit of a roadblock and I was thinking, do I go to uni? Do I try and get a backup? Because my parents um, were, let's say, very aware that becoming a professional sportsman, um, the likelihood of you actually making it is quite low. So it's always good to kind of have a backup. So I did what's called a PGA traineeship, which is a three-year what's called a course to become a, a coach. You can't just become a pro and coach in Australia. You need to do this three-year course. So I did that. And effectively, when you start that, you turn professional. So during that time, you play competitive events for money against the other trainee professionals. And you occasionally get starts and some bigger events from there. And then when I finished, obviously, my goal throughout that whole entire time was play on tours, play on the PGA Tour with Tiger Woods and all the, the guys that you grow up aspiring to be like. And the reality of it set in pretty quick after about two or three years of 
applying my trade on, let's call it third tier tours, like the Australasian and a little bit in Asia around, very expensive to get from tournament to tournament. And I didn't have any sponsors backing at the time. I really enjoyed the process. And I think going through that brings a lot of empathy when it comes to working with my students who are professionals or aspiring to be professionals and giving them as best of opportunities I can as a coach and support them when they need it, when they're probably going through similar instances. Now they might have a little bit more of a head start in regards to maybe some funding or something like that. So they've got every chance of actually making it. But I think in my coaching, in certain instances, let's say that they're getting lonely away or they're just not quite sure how to handle the pressures. I think it definitely helps having some playing experience under your belt. What was the peak that you got to in your playing career? So the peak was probably that Australian representation. Like I was very proud of that. And that was when I was 18. And then as I was a professional, I won a few of the the trainee or the associate tournaments. And then I think my best finish was a third at the Cottesloe Open in 2017 or 18, I think like that. So that was probably my highlight of my professional career. And what type of golfer are you? Were you? Have you... Probably strength and weaknesses. I was a big overthinker. That's probably why I apply my trade as a coach right now. Very critical. Like I love systems and methods. So therefore, when I was out playing, I loved the process and routines. It was very structured and deliberate with what I was doing. So you could say that I, I very much enjoyed the, the tactical side of the game, kind of plotting my way around the golf course, figuring out what was the best strategy, what was the best angle, and then taking it from there. I was very good at my short game, so chipping and putting, and my weakness was was definitely off the tee. Which, as most golfers know, if you if you can't put on the golf the golf ball in the fairway, it makes it pretty tough to to finish the hole. But I was quite good at recovery shots as a result, and so let's let's say I, I built a strength out of a weakness. <laughs> and did golf coaching then always pique your interest? So when it comes to golf coaching, I suppose not really, because I was very single minded about what I was looking to achieve as I was growing up very focused on just becoming a player itself and then when I was out there and I was actually playing professional sport at itself is a very selfish pursuit you need to be very focused on what you were doing only and you have to make a lot of sacrifices as you do so I think one of the reasons I love coaching is it's a very selfless pursuit so you're essentially just positioning yourself to help others and for me it's incredibly gratifying being able to do that And you don't really get that kick when you're actually playing. And then as time progressed and I realized that the struggles weren't really worth the reward when I was playing and I had to make a decision of do I want to have a little bit more structure in my life and enjoy everything that life has to offer or grind it out in third world countries and keep going from place to place and scrape by not making any money in in the the hope of the, the carrot in front of me finally being taken. I just decided that when I was doing my apprenticeship, so my three years of becoming a coach, I did quite well in the academic side. And like I said, I was a very methodical golfer. So I really liked the the structure and the system behind golf coaching and improving things. And I was a bit of a fixer as a kid. So I think innately that was, that was something that kind of drew me to coaching itself. And then once I retired from playing and I was looking for certain jobs around the place that was that was one thing that I was really interested in doing and then I've just fallen in love with it. So tell me about your coaching program. In Perth I I kind of do something a little bit different from what most coaches do so traditionally golf coaching is quite a transactional experience as in let's say you've got a problem with your golf swing let's say you slice the golf ball too much or for those who don't play golf that's when the ball curves too far left to right 
And you go, oh, something's wrong with my golf game. I'll go to the golf coach and I'll get him to straighten up my slice. But effectively, that's reactive coaching. So when you do that, you're turning a slice and generally you'll turn that slice into a draw. And then that draw turns into a hook, which is effectively curving too much the other way. So you're always chasing your tail and spinning circles and you're never actually improving the cause of the issue when you do that. So what I've tried or I've implemented into my coaching, especially my program, is a thing called a player development program. And the player development program is, let's say, a view of the long-term relationship with the client of not only are we doing technical work, so we're fixing the ball flight, we're giving them a better golf swing technique as such, but we're also building soft skills around that, what they do. So they're learning all the, the skills that really you only learn through time as you're out there playing. So my job is to fast track that. So we do trajectory control and curvature and you will do distance control. So what I do is I set up a whole bunch of stations. So let's say there might be 20 or 30 people in this play development class itself and they'll do six rotating stations at eight to 10 minutes per station and we'll do effectively just do a different exercise per station. Now, from that, I try and make it as enjoyable and as inclusive as possible. So we have music going, and effectively, my job is is not really coaching too much. It's pretty much building rapport with the students, making sure that they're enjoying what they're doing, they've got a good understanding of the skill that they're trying to impart in that station. And then just what we tend to see is with the players that come down, they start to, to become buddies with the guys that they normally see down there. And then they start to improve through osmosis, mainly because similar to like a gym class, if you've got other factors to go to that gym class besides the actual just working out, you're more inclined to stick with it longer. So therefore, you're effectively, in that sense, or using that analogy, going to get fitter over time, or in golf, you're going to get better with your golf game just because you're attending more classes. Are you looking for a new way to boost your overall health, fitness, and wellness? Why not give chirotherapy a go? Basically, it's a cool room you stand in in freezing temperatures for about three minutes and afterwards you feel amazing. Honestly, your muscles, your skin and your overall health feels great. There are massive benefits to this type of therapy and the Polar Room are offering all you listeners 20% off your first session. So why not go in and give this trend a go and see what you think for yourself? So what would you say then is your main point of difference compared to other coaches? Definitely then I take a long-term view or perspective when it comes to development with golfers. I don't really deal with too many players that just want a once-off lesson. I've structured my business to do so. So when it comes to one-on-one coaching, very early on I'll in the first session as opposed to getting stuck straight into working on their golf game and fixing their swing or their ball flight, I'll sit down and I'll have a conversation with the student. I'll talk about their strengths and their weaknesses, maybe their frustrations. I'll see why they're here today, get a good understanding of their personality. So then I can just best cater the information in the program for you. And then when I sit down and I go through that process, I think the client tends to realize that, okay, this is maybe not just a a normal half an hour golf lesson. And most of my clients have been with me for three plus years as a result since I've been at Joondalup. So what's the biggest risk then you've taken in modernizing coaching? The biggest risk I've taken is probably going against the grain in association to what everyone's done. So if you were going to do, let's say, the typical golf coaching lesson would be a half an hour session and let's say it costs, just for simplicity's sakes, $60. Now, that might be 
a low price point, that might be easier as a coach because effectively you're your own business and you need to build a system and a structure around how you're going to ensure that you've got continued revenue going forward. That might be a quick, let's say, cash grab instead of in, in regards to the business side of things. But effectively, when you do so, there's not enough time to build rapport with the client and build that relationship and that trust. So they're a continued long-term client. So the biggest risk I took was eliminating that part of it, which is really the bread and butter of most golf coaches' businesses. So when I was moving into the structure that I've got at the moment, I pretty much went against the grain and offered just the minimum was an hour session, starting off with the new student assessment where we'd go through that process. And then I'd pretty much move everyone into a a monthly coaching program where they'd just be on an ongoing process. And at the beginning, yeah, that was a bit of a risk because there was a good chance that a lot of people were just looking for that lower price point or that one quick off lesson. But I just made a, a decision early on that I didn't want to be that coach and I wanted to, to really spend the time with my clients. And um, yeah, it's paid dividends as time has gone on. Yeah, you do have a massive online presence. You have videos and uh, you know you connect with your clients online as well. How do you blend mm. that online and face-to-face coaching? I've been doing online coaching since... 2015 or 14, when Instagram was first coming onto the scene. One of the big reasons being is when I decided to stop playing professional golf, I, if I'm going to do one thing, I'm going to do it as well as I possibly could. And I've always been like that throughout my career and my life. And I thought that what I would do is I'll sit down and I'll analyze who the best in the golf coaching sphere are and what is their point of difference as opposed to the guy down the road. And when I was looking at all the top lists and I was looking at all the people who were on Golf Channel and Golf Digest and all these other platforms, the one thing I noticed or the commonality between all of them was their ability to be on camera. Now, growing up, I was an incredibly introverted person. I couldn't even ring up the restaurant to make a booking. And playing an individual sport and being by yourself all the time didn't really foster to change that. So when I got to that tipping point, as a player and then I was starting to move into coaching, I realized that even though I might have the coaching skills in a one-on-one scenario, having the ability to project to a global audience rather than just a local was really just the number one way to set yourself aside or as a point of difference from the next person. And I've got very lofty career aspirations as such. And I realized that all these guys that I was idolizing, they all have that commonality that they're able to, to speak on camera. So I developed early on that skill. I, I had a couple of mentors. One guy specifically in America, his name's Jeff Ritter. He's been probably the most influential character in my career besides my parents. And he just mentored me through the process of like really how to structure a short video and the way to put it across. And then as time's gone on, I've been doing it for five, six years now. And just like anything else, it's a muscle you develop and build and you suck at first and you get a little less worse and a little less worse. And then before you know it, five years down the track, you're pretty reasonable at doing it. So it just becomes a habit in the in-person lessons. I'm always doing video content as well. So from a personal and professional development side of thing, I try and treat every experience, not only as giving the best service to my client, but also I know that if I want to be able to do that for the long term, I need to upskill and always improve what I'm doing. So I'm as intentional and as uh, focused on what I'm doing in regards to even the way I deliver the message and the way I articulate what I'm trying to say, um, the technical terms that I use. So I'm trying to make it as simplistic as possible for the client, which benefits them, but it also benefits me. So when it comes to doing video content, and that's something that um, going forward, I'm going to be doing uh, considerably more than what I'm doing now as well. And that's 
definitely a, um, a part of it that needs to be developed. And I suppose the only way that you do that is by being consistent with the online content. And that's what I've done over the last few years. Yeah, it's great that you get to keep in touch with your clients too once they've had the lesson. All right, I'm going to ask you for some tips here. What advice do you have for some golfers? There's two main ones here. The first one is learn how to practice properly. So if we could take the, the typical golfer goes down to the drone range, he's got a bucket of balls, he tips it over and there's 100 balls laying out in front of him. Usually what the average golfer does is they just exercise rapidly by hitting golf ball after golf ball after golf ball. Now, the driving range is a training platform. It's not where you play. And what, what most players do is they get transfixed on the outcome. So the ball went a little bit left, the ball went a little bit right, and they try and fix that. Or hit a little bit too far behind, they hit on top of the ball. And they try and fix what just happened in the previous ball. And then what they get stuck in is just what we call Ranger Rick mode. And that's just hitting ball after ball after ball after ball after ball, never thinking about the process and always focusing on the outcome. Now, the reason golf is so challenging, it's a static sport played from a static position. So you've got plenty of time to think about what you do, but you need to treat it more as a reactive game. So the golf is the biggest challenge and the reason I have a job is a player's understanding of how to implement golf improvement knowledge is usually an area that can be greatly improved. When you're on the driving range, you've got to be in very intentional, slow and methodical about the process and what you're doing and negate the outcome. So when I do a golf lesson, effectively, I've got a net and I pull that across. And usually we're just hitting into a net because I don't really care if the ball's going right, left, if you top it, if you fat it. If we're working through the process, the results will come as well. It's kind of like when you learn an instrument for the first time. If I was going to pick up the guitar, I've got no idea what I'm doing. So if I was going to learn to play something, I'd pick a very small piece of music. I'd start off very slow and intentional until it made some sort of sound that resembled what I was looking for. And then I would expand and then pick up speed. And before you know it, it makes music. And the same thing applies to any other skill you're trying to develop, especially golf, because it is fine motor skills played at an incredibly high speed. So if you're not conscious, you're not slow, you're not intentional, you're not going to be able to develop. So when we put that in a sense of what you average, what you see the average player do on the driving range, well, then they're just going so quick and so fast. They're just working up a sweat, getting frustrated and exercising, but not really working on their golf swing, even though it seems like they're doing. So that would be my first bit of advice. Take it slow, take it slow, get a lesson, know exactly what you're trying to do and then work through that process, get a small bucket rather than a big bucket. And then the second thing is when they're out on the golf course, make sure that they're making intentional practice swings relative to the shot in front. So we'll just take a, a small shot over a bunker, for example. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you're doing in regards to your technique when you are playing, the club needs to brush the ground where the ball lies. So you just need to have uh, swings that would be of relative length to the distance that you need to hit it brushing the ground and then take that exact same feeling and sensation into the ball and just try and recreate that motion. Too often I'll see players have practice swings or rehearsal swings or not take rehearsal swings at all and they'll miss the ground completely or take a big chunk of ground or their swing will be way too long or way too short. So if I was just a simple analogy, we put a bucket in front of you about 10 meters away and I was going to give you a million dollars if you threw a ball into the bucket. I would guarantee that you would stand there and you would have some slow intentional practice swings relative to the distance that you wanted to throw the ball before you execute it and out on the golf course you need to do the same thing so that would be my that would be my second piece of advice there so where do you see your coaching going in five years time then five years time so it's changed a lot over the last 
probably a year or so, I started off just doing a lot of in-person lessons at Ginlock Resort where I'm at at the moment. And then I've done the state team work. I teach a few professionals and then I've always done the media side. I'm looking to get a lot more into that. I've got a few exciting projects coming up that are going to get released over the next couple of months, which is starting to do considerably more video content online with a few big publications. So what I would like to do is I'd like to expand my reach to more of a global audience, continue to still do my in-person coaching because that's what I love, continue to work with the professionals and the state teams, but then also have more of an online presence and then build my profile through there. Golf is a mental game and you need to have a strong mindset. What is some words then that you like to live life by that keeps you out there and hitting the balls? How you do one thing is how you do everything. So how you wake up and make your bed in the morning, that tends to echo throughout the rest of your day. So if you're going to do something, do it as well as you possibly can and it'll make a world of difference. The aggregate effect of doing the small things really well is what has a long compounding effect to make something good great. Oh, I, I like that one. That's very good. going to have to use that one myself. Well, I'm excited to see some more of these videos come along and maybe learn some tips. My golf isn't very good. So you'd have a few years trying to train me up. So I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I'll be jumping on, but someone, other people out there might be interested in improving their game. I hope your videos can help them. Thanks for giving the time up today to chat to us about golf. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Carrot. He's maybe inspired me to get on the golf course. Uh, I'm not very good, so uh, maybe we should just leave that to the professionals. I don't even know if his coaching could help me. He might be able to help you, though, so hit him up. Or maybe go back and just listen to an old Left of Field podcast. Sweet transition there, Danny. Very, very nice. But I have plenty of episodes, and I would love for you guys to go back, give them some love, and stay tuned, though. I'll be back again in your ears next week. Goodbye.